The, re the reading will come from Jude chapter 1. And it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, a brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago was designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angel who did not stay within their own positions of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under, under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah in the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Thus, these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them. For they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perish in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about the, these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all of the ungodly of all their deeds and ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, they are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the prediction of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt, Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, 
majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this day that you have allowed us to see. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here. I pray that you will soften our hearts to receive the words that you have for us today. Allow us to, us to live um, more diligently for you uh, in prayer and in seeking you. Lord, I pray that you will block any distractions that try to distract us today and allow our ears to be attentive. I pray that you use Pastor Mike and speak through him, Lord God, the words to build up the church, Lord God. Thank you for your grace and for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Anwar, for reading the scripture so well and leading us in prayer. I'd like you to invite you to open up to the book of Jude. If you need a copy of God's word, we have some in the back. In the meanwhile, as you're doing that, let me ask you, because this was a question asked upstairs during children's uh, Bible study, children's Sunday school, who is Olaf? <laughs> who? Snowman. Pastor Nick did a wonderful job of driving people to ask the question, who is Jesus Christ? God and man. And I just want to invite you to continue to massage the truth that, of the catechism into your children's hearts. Adult Bible study was awesome as well. We're learning how the gospel works out in everyday life. So if you are not getting yourself here for adult Bible study or children's ministry upstairs at 9.30, let me encourage you to do that. Great teaching time. In fact, if you're going to be here at 9.30, be here for something that's really important at 9, 9 to 9.20. We have a time of prayer because who was it? Leonard Ravenhill said, the church that ain't praying together is doing nothing but playing together. So we like to play, but let's pray as well, hey? So I encourage you to get out for that. Hey, people might be wondering in our series in Jude, hey, you've called out a few false teachers by name. Ryan and I were just talking. Uh, I think if you're always calling people out, that's not probably a really healthy thing. But there is biblical warrant to do that. Paul called out Hymenius and Alexander. Remember that? By name. And as Ryan said, sometimes you have to do it by name so that people can see, no, there's an actual particular example of what you're talking about. Now, you've noticed all through this series, we've had different people from the congregation read the entire chapter one, the only chapter of Jude. Do you, do you remember why I keep on saying we're doing that? Yes. Because the call of Jude is a call for all. For example, Courtney was uh, at the uh, Wayne State campus uh, a couple weeks ago. I think she had a meeting with Michelle, who's a campus uh, missionary. And uh, they were on a prayer walk. And somewhere along the way, Courtney ran into a group of people who were purportedly representing God in the gospel. And they started talking to her, and they found out that they teach that Jesus Christ returned in Korea in 1948, uh, that God now manifests himself as a mother, um, and all kinds of crazy stuff. So she asked them, 
can you share some scriptures that would uh, support this stuff you're teaching? And they did, and she said, basically, you're, you're, you're butchering the text. That's not what it says. You guys uh, are blaspheming God. She was contending for the faith. God is calling us all to contend for the faith. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would use these words to cause us not to be contentious, but to contend for the faith. Because the gospel is worth contending for, and the God of love who sent Jesus to die for our sins and rise again is worth contending for. So Lord, may we walk out of here not just contending for the faith, but showing that we are actually part of the faith, our faith, our faith in Christ. We ask this in his name, Jesus. Amen. So you might say, okay, I got what you put down, week one, message one, verses one and two. Three reasons we should contend. Number one, because we're slaves to Jesus Christ, our master. What do slaves do? They obey their masters. I get that, yes, we should obey the command to call because we are unfathomably loved, called, beloved by God, kept for and by Christ. I understand that, that like the gospel is worth contending for. We're so deeply loved through the gospel. And I get that we should obey it because, according to verse 2, we'll experience more. We want, we want to be positional Christians, and we want to be experiential Christians. We want to taste and see that the Lord is good. And we will increasingly experience love and peace and mercy as we, as we contend. So I, I got what you put down in that message. And I was tracking with you in message 2, verses 3 and 4, where he gets to the heart of the matter, and he says the reason you need to contend for the faith is because there are insurgents, they're creepers, spiritual terrorists. They have a nice bedside manner, much like uh, that Nazi doctor we talked about couple, uh, last week, uh, Dr. Mengel, but in the end, they destroy people by twisting grace into perverting stuff and by denying the lordship of Jesus Christ. I, I was tracking with you on that one. And I couldn't miss what you shared in message three last week where we saw a pretty intense description of these false teachers via Old Testament examples, via non-canonical references, and everyday illustrations. But I don't know if I can be a Courtney. I, tell me about this contending thing. How, how would I contend for the faith if we're all called to do this? And I'm glad you asked that question because that's exactly what verses 17 through 23 answer. How to contend for the faith. And it, it, it just falls right out of the text. It's very plain for us to see as the Spirit gives us vision. Y'all with me? You always know when I've done my introduction, y'all with me, because I, I want to make sure I didn't lose anybody, all right? So this is for us to contend, to, to, to answer the call of the book of Jude. Number one, We've got to remember, remember, remember that the Lord told us time and time again, there will be false teachers. There will be false teachers. And yes, Jesus Christ says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But many a church has been prevailed against, right? 
That's why we have the seven churches of Revelation. Five of them went down with false teaching, right? So we're to remember, and yes, he has already spent the good part of the letter telling us about false teachers, but we are so prone to take that warning lightly. So once again, he says, as we move into the second to last section, he says this. He says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time that we scoffers, following their own ungodly passions, it is these people who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Now, before we get to this first point, to remember that there will be false teachers, I don't want us to race by something that we could so quickly race by. How, what does he call these people to whom he's writing in verse 17? What does he call them, family? Beloved. Four times in this letter you have the word beloved to those who are beloved of God, verse 1. Then he addresses them in verse 2. Verse 3 as beloved, here in verse 17 and verse 20. What? Just what? Just what? What if we were gripped by this, that the most important thing about me as a believer, that my ultimate identity is not determined by what I can accomplish, but anything I can do, by anything that I've suffered, but the prevailing identity is this, I'm beloved of God. I am deeply loved by God at the infinite cost of the cross. What if, before our head lifted off the pillow and our feet hit the ground every morning, we said to ourselves, I am beloved of God, infinitely loved at the priceless cost of the cross. I've been working on that, and it hasn't come to my mind first thing. Somebody needs to develop an alarm clock that, eh, 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 you're deeply loved by the Father at the infinite cost of the cross. He calls them beloved again and again. We should think of ourselves because of God's grace as that way. Now, beloved ones, here's, here's the point. We are to remember that God has told us all through the Bible and here the predictions of the apostles that there will be what in the midst of the body of Christ. The confessing body of Christ will have what inside of it. Say it again. Say it again. False teachers, right? How did you put it, Joe? Scoffers, yes. And we're going we're to unpack that. That's exactly right. That's one of the things they do. Once you take the makeup off, that's what you see. Exactly. There'll be false teachers. Now, I get some people can be too abrasive in trying to call out false teachers, right? Like they, that, they, they major on that. It is not a healthy thing. But I tend to think that the tendency of the body of Christ is to be far too apologetic about this matter. What do you think? There's a well-known story of a Christian talking to a Buddhist about his faith, and they talked for quite a while. After a while, the Buddhist interrupted the Christian and said, wait, 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 wait. You should become a Buddhist. Christian said, well, why would you say that? He says, because you seem to like Buddhism so much. In other words, all he could do was commend him. All he could oh, that's great. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And we have to be willing to say, graciously, to be sure, but as Courtney did, that is false teaching. That's not of God. That's going to lead you to hell. 
that's going to lead to destruction. Of course, the warning he's given us here isn't about false religions like Buddhism. It's about false teachers within Christendom. And that, that's the catch right there, right? That's what makes it so dangerous. If I offered you uh, a bowl of Skittles and you could see powdery, crystal-like um, pellets of cyanide, you'd be like, well, I'm not going to eat those. But what if those cyanide pellets were coated with the same coloring and sugary taste of the, of the other pieces of candy? You might eat them, right? That is the danger. And that's why two messages ago, you might, you might have thought, oh, brother, when is this going to end? We went through, and I handed out all these verses throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament detailing the danger of false teachers. Do you remember that? And hopefully you still have that handout at home, maybe somewhere in your Bible. Let me remind you of one of them. Romans 16, verses 17 through 18. Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers. He's appealing. Watch out. Or one version has, mark, mark those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. For such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but what does it go on to say? But their own appetites. And then who, something to the effect of, through deceitfulness seek to deceive the hearts of the naive. Through smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Now, watch out. Mark. Avoid. Just seems to be a far cry from, oh, thank you for sharing your perspective. I hadn't thought about that yet. Huh? Right? It is quiet. He says, in the last times. Now, what in the world is that about? Last times. Because it's easy to think, man, you just turn on the news, things are so crazy, right? We must be in the last times. And things have been crazy, but can I tell you, things have always been crazy. And in fact, the last times have been going on for about 2,000-ish years. Because the first coming of Jesus Christ, specifically his work on the cross and his resurrection, defeating sin, death, hell, and Satan, that inaugurated the beginning of the last days. And that chapter will decisively, boom, end as he ushers in the new heavens and new earth at his second coming. In between first coming, second coming, right now, the last days. And in the last days, the enemy, boom, is throwing as many grenades as he can against humanity, and the worst kind are often those in the form of undercover agents for the enemy. False teachers, 2 Corinthians 11, is it? Masquerading as angels of light. So it will be with the ministers of the evil one. False teachers. False teachers. Now, scoffers, that's what they are. But they don't look like that on the front end. We've been hearing that, right? They have a mask on. They have an act, whether they're realizing it or not. They wear a costume, but once you wash that makeup off, 
once you yank that mask off, once you take that costume off of them, this is what they really look like, and this is what really motivates them. They are scoffers. Not like, ha, 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 you fool. More like, um, there's a hiss behind it. Did God really say that? Isn't there another way to take that? What could be so wrong about two people who love each other? They're adults and they consent to be together even if they're not married. I mean, they're adults. They're consenting. Who's getting hurt? Or what could be so wrong about two people who love each other consent of being together even though, you know, they're the same gender? Or, or how about this? This is, this is one. Is it really necessary to believe in the inspiration of Scripture? After all, the first Christians didn't even really have Bibles like we have. Scoffing. That's what that is. You see, need to see it for what it is. It's scoffing at God. And then this. Following ungodly passions. Did we not see this in Clarion Colors last week? That long section? So I, I'm not gonna... I'm not gonna beat a dead horse here, other than to say they, that's exactly what drives them. Fallen, ungodly, ungodly passions. Passions for notoriety. Passions for um, money. Passions for immorality. How about the, the one for money? Acts chapter 8, I was reading that this morning. You have a guy named Simon. He's a magician. Simon makes a confession of faith in Christ. By the way, not everyone who makes a confession of faith in Christ truly is following Christ. You need to be here next week for Pastor Nick's message as we go back to the Gospel of Matthew and the Four Soils. He makes a profession. Then he sees in this time between the Old Covenant crash into the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit being poured out. And he sees them do some pretty powerful things through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I can just imagine him pulling out his billfold and saying, I'll give you money for this Holy Spirit. I want to pull that stuff off too. Do you remember what Peter says? Remember what Peter says? He, this is literally what says, your money go to hell with you. Your money perish with you. Your heart is not right with God. You see, all he wanted God for was getting the stuff that people in the world still want, only want to use God for it. And such is the motivation of a false teacher. The scoffers, they follow ungodly passions, and then this. It is these who cause what? Divisions. Now stay with me here, because it is not uncommon for false teachers and those who support false teachers to allege that the other side's being divisive. You're the ones being divisive. You're being divisive for addressing their error. But can I just tell you, that's flat out wrong. The one who's being divisive is actually departing from the faith once delivered to the saints. And it is not divisive to point out that schism, it's actually the loving thing to do. Which is crazy, which is crazy. It is just crazy that some people can't see that. Some people get madder at you for calling out the air than the air itself. 
that's true. There is a worldwide church, and just so I'm, I'm not trying to press any buttons here, okay? I want to say it's a worldwide church that confesses a lot about Christ, but they do not preach the biblical gospel. Let's just call it the Honolulu Blue Church, okay? All right? You know what's going on at 1 o'clock. And they have, they have really good Christology. Like, they get the person of Jesus, God and man. But they also teach some crazy stuff. Like, if you want to be right with God, you got to pray to the mascot of Honolulu Blue, okay? And if you don't attend three games a year, you lose grace. And there's a special place that you go to between heaven and hell. It's called Honolulu Blue Holding Place, all right? Now, if Honolulu Blue is a church, and there's lots of people believing it, and you said, no, that's not true, would that be divisive or calling people away from that which is contrary to the gospel, to the truth? What would that be? What would that be? Please, calling people to the truth. Like, we get this. We get this with a doctor. Somebody just got seven stitches sewed, sewed up in the back of this room between Sunday school and uh, church service. That was Pastor Cleet. You can, it was pretty cool. Thank you, Dr. Haber, our resident physician. If there was a doctor who was going to treat somebody with a sickness or a malady with something that would actually not bring health but bring death, would it be loving or unloving to call them out? Be the right thing to do. Hey, man, you don't want to go see that doctor. You need to go see this doctor because this doctor, he can really bring healing. And I suspect the reason people get so mad sometimes when you call out something is because do they, do they really believe the gospel? That we're saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. Y'all with me? These are worldly people. They're of the world. Their allegiance is ultimately to this fallen world system, these false teachers. And then finally, and this is the biggest indictment of all, it says they are devoid of the Spirit. It doesn't say that they don't always walk in the Spirit, all of us, right? It doesn't say they sometimes quench the Spirit, all of us. It doesn't say they sometimes grieve the Spirit, all of us. It says they're devoid of the Spirit. According to 1 Corinthians 12, that means they ain't in Christ. Because if you have not the Spirit, you don't belong to God. These are not Christians in the end of the day. They may quote the Bible. Satan did. They may preach sermons. Somebody said, if you're looking for the devil, the first place you should check is behind the pulpit. And that's true. They might host home groups. They might serve lavishly. They might lead music. They can speak fluent Christianese. But they are not Christians. So remember, first of all, Jude said, as well as all of Scripture, that they would be there, false teachers, and be willing to call them what they are. Cameron Triggs, and with this I end the first point, said this, Christians must be willing to stand up on the fence and mount a defense and also play a little offense. And with that, we go to the second point. First of all, what are we to do, family? We're to, to contend, what will, first of all, what must we do to contend? What, do we, what, what is it? Come on, everybody say it. Remember. Second of all, keep. Keep. 
Let me read verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, I want to do something here. It's a little bit grammatical, but I think it'll be helpful. You scan these two verses, and you're going to see four verbs, four action words. What are those four verbs? Just call them out as you see them. And I'll lead us along. But you, beloved, okay, so building yourself up, that's number one. Would you agree? In your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, that's number two. Verse 21, keep, would you say that's a verb? Keep yourselves in the love of God. And then number four, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you got building, praying, keep, and waiting. Now, sentences typically have, we are going somewhere with this. Don't feel like you're in English class, which I did terrible in. Sentences have a main verb, okay? And then they have explanatory or subordinate or secondary verbs that, that kind of tell you how you walk out that main verb. Does anyone want to venture to guess what the main verb in these two verses would be? Keep, that's exactly right. Keep is the only imperative or command. You are to keep yourselves in the love of God. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? Then you go to the other verbs, the subordinate ones. By what? Building, praying, and waiting. So we're going to get to that. But before that, I want to get to a question that you might be wrestling with. You might be saying, I'm a little bit confused. Wait a second. Verse 1 said, we're kept for Christ or by Christ. Verse 24 says, in this great doxology, in two weeks we'll get to that, that God is able to keep us. And yet this verse says, I need to keep myself. What is it? Am I kept by God is the point and the tension, or do I keep myself? Everybody who says, I'm kept by God, raise their hand. Everybody who says, you keep yourself, raise your hand. So what's the answer? Both. Boom, I couldn't get you. That's exactly right. <laughs> to be sure, God is the one that keeps us, right? But one of the ways he does that is through us caring that we keep ourselves in the love of God. Which is why so many verses in the Bible highlight the significance of persevering in our faith. Did you notice that? It, it, listen, would it, be, would it be legalistic for the married folks here, for me to say to you, or for me to say to myself as a married man, you need to keep yourself in your marriage by honoring your covenant and being faithful to your spouse. That's so legalistic. What do you think about that? That's not legalistic. That's a healthy relationship, isn't it? Yeah. So when God commands us to keep ourselves in his love, it's, it's, it's not legalistic. Not legalistic. Do you know what you, and I'm not saying this because we have such a shallow view of eternal security, I think, in American Christianity. Yes, if someone is truly saved, they are saved to the uttermost. But the Bible itself says, and we'll get this in, in, in I think, three weeks, there's wheat and there's tares, right? 
There's false professions and real professions. Again, next week, parable of soils. Be here, right? Be there or be square. So don't be square. Now, guess what you need to do to drift from your faith? Just guess what you need to do. What do you need to do to drift from your faith? Guess. Anybody want to guess? Nelvin will take you out for a steak dinner if you get this answer right. Right, Nelvin? What do you got to do to drift from your... Not a stinking thing. Nothing. Literally nothing. We're standing in a raging stream. This fallen world system, our own flesh outside of Christ, right? That is raging towards destruction. So all you got to do is do nothing, and you will drift. Say, that doesn't sound, I'm just being real. That's why when, when someone moves, let's say someone's enlisting in the military, or going off to college, or doing a job transfer, what's one of the things that you tell them? Make sure when you get there, you find what? You find a church and you get committed to that church. And that so often is a line of demarcation between those who continue in the faith and those who don't. Now, this, therefore, is more than just how we contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. It's also good instruction for how we continue in our faith, right? In our faith. Those who are truly kept by Christ care about this command to keep themselves in the love of God. Conversely, to flip it, those who care about keeping themselves in the love of God show that ultimately they're being kept by Christ. What? That's not double speak, but it is the mysterious intersection between divine sovereignty, Pastor Clee talked about this this morning, I believe, and human responsibility. Boom. Such people can have confidence that God really has done a saving work in your life. And that you are positionally secure forever in the love of God wrought at the cross of Christ. And what's more, I think you will experientially taste and feel in the depth of your soul, well, I am beloved of God. As you walk out the three things that flow out of keeping yourself in the love of God. So we get to verse 20. But you, again, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith. This, it's a participle, refers to what you should pursue, namely, your most, the most holy faith. You're to pursue truth. You're to pursue, per, listen, you're, yes, you're to pursue doctrine. You are to pursue what it says in verse 3, the body of truth known as the faith once delivered to the saints. Does it not say in Ephesians 2.20 that we are to be building, there's the, there's the terminology, building upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Now, there are people within the confessing church, within Christendom, who confess the right things superficially about Jesus, but who want to demolish that foundation in your life. It's just true. 
Today, it's called de-building, de-construction. It ain't nothing new. It's been around forever. It's called apostasy. So you must continue building. You must continue building. Did not Jesus say in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. How many times do you eat? If you only ate once a week, you wouldn't live that long. Huh? First Peter verse 2 and verse 3. Likewise, like newborn infants, praise God, we have several of them here, long for the spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, if indeed... 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God, that the woman of God may be thoroughly complete, equipped for every good work. Now, there's this command to build yourself up isn't just me, myself, and I. It's actually us. It is a corporate command. It is a communal command. And so I give you Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. And here it is specifically for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be tossed to and fro like children, carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful scenes. When you, when you faithfully gather with the church, you say, I want to be built up. But when it's not a faithful thing, it's like you're, you're thinking, I'm already built up enough, doggone it. And meanwhile, deconstructive wrecking balls are coming at you from all kinds of directions. This pursuit of doctrine, building yourself up, is not a six-week project. It's got to be a lifelong pursuit for three reasons. Number one, there's always more to learn, right? Always more to learn. Number two... You always have an enemy attacking you with wrecking balls. And number three, we just forget. Forget in a way that it really lands on our heart. Some study said that by the time you go eat lunch, and you may be thinking, I hope it's soon, not that long from now, you're going to only remember 30% of what you heard. And next, at best, and I'd be happy that, but it's based on some conversations I have. I can't remember, by the way, myself what I thought sometimes. 5% next Sunday. If, as I just said, if you only ate a few times a week and you missed the big meal, how healthy do you think you would be? So it is with the bread of life, Jesus metaphor Jesus said. And to go back to the construction metaphor, if you're not constantly building, then you're nothing but a Jenga tower. Everyone, anyone ever play Jenga? That stack of uh, pieces of wood, and you do a tower, and people are c 
constantly pulling out pieces. And you see the thing. You can see sometimes the people, they're starting to tip. They're starting to tip, right? They're in danger. We're going to get to how you deal with those people like that. And they fall. But usually you can step back and see, oh, no, they were not building themselves up in doctrine. They were not faithfully connected to a local church. They did not have a team of people going the same direction with them. So you keep yourself in love of God, number one, by building yourself up. Number two, and by the way, this is not just how you contend for the faith. If you're not willing to do this, you might not even be a Christian. But if you're a Christian, you will want it. You'll have seasons of dormancy for sure, but you'll want to build yourself up. Second of all, pray in the Holy Spirit. He says, and praying in the Holy Spirit. This is refers to what you practice. First one, what you pursue doctrine, this is what you practice, prayer. What does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? This is not some elite superhero way to pray, okay? That you gotta go off to some special school or some special conference. This is not praying in tongues. Whatever you feel about tongues, if you're cessationist, you believe they don't exist anymore, uh, if you're not, I'm not, and you believe they still continued as a, as a gift, not everybody has them. And what Jude is saying is what? This is something everybody, whatever he's saying, praying the Holy Spirit is, he's saying everyone should do it, right? This is how everyone builds themselves up. This is how everyone keeps himself in love of God. All people, don't, don't outfunk yourself on this one, okay? It simply means... You're praying according to the very word that the Holy Spirit inspired, the word of God. And that you're doing so in reliance upon him. And praise God, you thank him that he picks up the slack, a.k.a. Romans 8, 26, where the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings too deep to be uttered by words. That's what it means. See, when we hear from God, when we read the Bible, we're hearing from God. We're, we're inhaling. And when we pray, God is hearing from us. We're exhaling. So these two go together, unless we just have a bunch of head knowledge, right? We inhale, word of God, truth, doctrine, most holy faith, faith once delivered to the saints. We inhale, but then we exhale in prayer. And here's a few great quotes on prayer. One by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He says this, not to pray because you do not feel fit to pray is like saying, mm, I will not take medicine because I'm too ill for it. What? So pray for prayer. Pray yourself, here it is, by the Spirit's assistance into a praying frame. That's what old Dr. Spurgeon said. Martin Luther, in context with the vein of Jude contending for the faith, said prayer is a strong wall and fortress of the church. It is a godly Christian weapon. Man, I was so pumped. We had about 45 people here for our midweek prayer meeting. We do it once a month, third Wednesday. And 45 people here, which is currently probably a little less than half what we have come on a Sunday. I'm pretty pumped about that. But you know what makes me even more pumped? If that would bleed into the 9 o'clock prayer meeting Sundays. And that will carry over to next Wednesday. And we just pretty soon, everybody's here right now is here for prayer. Why? Because the church that ain't praying together is playing together. We want to play and, and pray and pray. 
And then this last quote. If you only pray when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. So build yourself up. Pray in the Holy Spirit. And then this. Waiting for the mercy of God. Keep yourself in the love of God, verse 21. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. This refers to what we are to pant or long for, the return of Christ. That's what he's talking about, the return of Christ. When we will experience the fullness of our redemption, even the glorification of our bodies. You know, Scripture talks about the second coming a lot more than we think about it. How many times did you think about Christ returning yesterday? Did you at all? I believe Stephen did. I want to follow Stephen as he follows Christ, okay? How about the day before? I was thinking about the Wolverine game, okay? But seriously, do we really think about the return of Christ as part of keeping ourselves in the love of God? I'm not going to give you a bunch of verses, but here's a few. Right after Paul warns in Philippians of teachers who really want to, false teachers who want to satisfy their own bellies, who set their mind on earthly things. He says in Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21, in contrast to that, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, here's the word, we're waiting for a Savior, we're waiting for him. The Lord Jesus Christ, now check this out, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul writes the church at Thessalonica, chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He commends them how they turn from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his son from heaven, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. One more, 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8. I, I, I I want to cross the finish line like this. This is how I want to cross the finish line. By the way, anybody know what day they're going to die here? Anybody know? And that sounds so dark, but I use this in evangelism. You don't, do you? You don't. But we all have an expiration date, right? And that's why you better make sure you're right with God, who gave his son for you. But also, as believers, we don't know our expiration date, right? And we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But I want to end, I just, I want to, I haven't said this in years, I want to hit the, the finish line, like with lactic acid b- built up in my lung, in my legs, Right? My lungs burning and screaming, right? I think that's what Paul's getting at here when he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Expectation. Don't be like that kid who their baseball game was rained out. They're 11 years old, so the game is canceled. And by the way, that's a very sad, despairing day when that happens. Who just looks out the front window, tapping aimlessly the window. Instead of using the time, instead of using the time productively, go watch a game. Go down to the basement, practice your swing. In other words, when, you, when you're not just waiting, it's a, it's a word of expectation, Right? expecting him, and so you want to be faithful, and you want to be looking to him, and you, and you want to seek holiness and all of that. These are how we keep ourselves in the love of God. What we pursue, doctrine, what we practice prayer, what we pant for, the Lord's return. Now, we end briefly with this final thing. Now, we're going really offensive. Now, we're going on the offense, patently. 
Verse 22 and 23. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. There's an offense you need to play with three different kinds of people impacted in three different ways at various levels, okay? There's a, there's a kind of a, a progression of being impacted by false teaching. The first person is the person who's doubting. And I'd put it this way. We should reach out gently to doubters. Maybe they came across something on the internet. Maybe they heard about the so-called lost books of the Bible, which were never lost and never part of the Bible. But I've had people come to me with that. Like, do we really, is this really the Word of God? Maybe they've been through some suffering. Suffering will pickle you a little bit, right? Maybe there's been some prayer that hasn't been answered, and they're struggling. They're doubting. Perhaps even some of the most basic truths. God real? Can I trust the Bible? Is Jesus really the only way? Who here has not thought about those things at some point in your life, huh? Since coming to Christ. <laughs> I remember John Piper said, I'm not sure where to go with that one, and I'm just going to leave that. But I love how you're always contributing. It's me and you together. <laughs> and Michelle's just smiling so graciously. But John Piper said that when he went to Auschwitz, this is like 20 years ago, he said for a few gaping minutes, he thought, is there a God? In light of the, you know, the depraved catastrophe. Everybody's had moments like that. So you shouldn't say to that person, I can't believe you would ever doubt that. Bad Christian, bad doubter, go sit in the corner. <laughs> no. That's a great way, by the way, to get them to clam up about their doubts, isn't it? Truth is never afraid of questions. In fact, for a true believer, in the end, doubts only take them deeper. So we should be just as gentle with them as God is with us in our doubts, right? So gracious, so merciful, so tender. So have mercy, reach out, gently walk with them, walk with them, talk with them. But then second of all, reach out urgently to those who are in danger. And I would say, grave danger. These are people, first part of 23, who've moved from wrestling with doubts to beginning to embrace lies. And you should think of a burning barn. They're inside of it. Some timber is about to fall on their head and crush them. You got to save them. You got to snatch them. You got to go in and get them. And the snatching instrument, of course, is the good news of Jesus Christ, right? Reminding them of the truth of the gospel. There's a wild animal show in which this couple had a pet chimpanzee. And they loved this chimp because it was smart and strong. But when the husband died, something changed, or better yet, to describe it, something came out of that chimp. He became extremely violent, literally almost tore off the lady's face. A neighbor had to come in and stab that chimp to death while it was ripping at the lady. I know that's violent. Wild animals typically aren't great pets because, well, they're wild animals. 
And false teachers typically aren't great teachers because, well, they're false teachers. And sometimes you got to stab at lies with the truth before the soul of your friend gets ripped out. Be willing to do that. You reach out gently to doubters. You reach out urgently to those in danger. And finally, you reach out carefully to those who are defiled. It says, to others show mercy with, with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, I know, that, well, let me say this. Such people have moved from merely, not merely, but embracing lies, now espousing lies. They're starting to become evangelistic. That's why I reached out to that one person. He used to be part of the church years ago. I I don't know this person's name. Because that's happening. We should still show mercy, right, as God has with us, but very, very carefully. It may be too close to lunch to tell you this, but I'm going to anyway. The phrase garment refers to uh, a garment that went underneath their tunic. We would simply say our underwear. And the part about being stained by the flesh, most commentators think that's referring to <clears throat> staining your underwear. You get where I'm going? I'm sure this is something a doctor would uh, experience a lot in the emergency room. When you're trying to care for somebody who has pooped themselves, you don't want to be careful you help them, but you don't really want to get their, their matter on you, Right? We would be wise to fear that happening, and we should fear getting infected by lies as we reach out to people who now are full bore in that. There should be a big sign in our thinking, approach with extreme caution to avoid contamination. I was watching one of those prison programs, and let's just be honest, you have to at some point, okay? It was about high max. It was a maximum security prison. I mean, these are hardcore, dangerous criminals. And they get one hour in this like cement box to work out every day. And while they're so good at what they do that while they're working out for that one hour or doing whatever they're going to do in that cement box, the officers will come in, the prison officers will come in, the guards, and they will, they will shake their rooms down for contraband to make sure there's nothing in there dangerous. And this one prisoner, and they detailed how dangerous he was, they found a feather while he was out working out. They found a feather in his room that he picked up somewhere. And, and the journalist said, well, what could be so dangerous about a feather? I mean, what are you going to do, shank somebody with a feather? But then the guard said something like 85% of them are hep C positive. And they would love to put some, some kind of bodily matter on that quilt and get you so that you, you have hepatitis C. And so... They're careful even with a feather when they go around such people. You get the point? You get the point? This is a feather. Maybe you've heard of Arthur Blessed. He was the guy who carried a cross all around America and the world. He had a wheel on the back of this cross. And then he decided, you know, I'm going to start going to strip clubs and some places like that. And some people said, you know, you can still minister to people caught up in that without actually going in there. And he did, and one thing led to another, divorced his wife, married a young blonde, and, and all of that. Be careful, right? Be careful. Reach out carefully to the filed. Now, we're going to close this because this, this actually may be a record this morning. So at least I'll uh, 
have set some kind of record in my life anyway. We're going to close, you don't need to turn there, by taking a peek at a local church that no longer exists because they failed to take the warning of Jude seriously. Remember what Jesus said to the church at Sardis? I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but really you're dead. And it was, that was because, he goes on to say, there were only a few there who had not soiled their garments. There it is again. Apparently apostasy damned many there and killed the church. And that is a sad story so often repeated. Now we're going to erupt in praise in two weeks when we go to the great doxology at the end. But sometimes we need to hear straight to the point truths like this, don't we? Because the gospel is worth contending for. How are you going to contend? You're going to contend by remembering, by keeping, and by reaching out.